WMBR Cambridge 88.1 FM, a show that connects MIT to the world. I'm your host, Sanaya Sampson-Hill. sound of Brazilian musician Nelson de Rebeca play the instrument called the Rebeca. This is probably not an instrument many people would be familiar with. If you've never seen one before, 
you could take a look at it and compare it to a violin, but the comparison kind of stops at the visual similarities. So when the opportunity came to learn more about it, I jumped at the chance of talking about it in an episode, and that's what we'll get to do today. Adam Barami, a friend of the MIT Brazil program, is here to tell the story of the Hebeka. I asked Rosa, the managing director of the MIT Brazil program, to speak about how the relationship between him and the program formed, given its inception under unique circumstances. My name is Rosabelle Coelho Quesar, managing director of the MIT Brazil program at MISTI. Since its inception, the MIT Brazil program has vouched to bring Brazilian culture to campus, captivating our students as we prepare them before the engagements in country. When we had to transfer our activities to the virtual realm, we felt free to experiment. That's how the Brasilidade series came to be, and the partnership with Adam Barami was solidified. Well, I, I knew Adam's story and art since 2008, but now it makes sense to share his trajectory with the students who are pursuing their remote internships and with the MIT community because his is a trajectory that brought him as a foreigner closer to Brazil. It was music that started it all, but there is much more than uh, than that. And a lot of it can appeal to an MIT student with a rich background. Adam is a scientist, he's a builder, he's a musician, he's someone committed to mastering the language, someone who really grew close to Brazil. And that's one of the goals of the MIT Brazil program is how can we really get our students to become close to a country, to understand the culture and actually then be able to perform well in, you know, future connections with, you know, different cultures. So in that sense, it is clear for us at the MIT Brazil program that in order to build a robust cultural program, we need to go beyond the workshops that we were used to doing, like one here, one there, and connect with our sister organizations inside MIT for theater, music, and arts. And then... Having visiting artists allows us to go beyond the one workshop experience and with the support and knowledge, build a more cohesive program. And that's what Adam is helping us to do now. So for the rest of this episode, we'll take a deep dive into the history, sound and cultural significance of the Hebeka led by Adam. Most people think it was brought by early Portuguese colonizers, perhaps Jesuit missionaries to the northeast of Brazil, you know, around 1500. And that was the time that was before the modern classical violin design parameters were 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 finalized. It was more like the, the the predecessor of that, which is the Baroque violin. So you had a you had an instrument with a flatter arch and a different a different kind of bridge fingerboard system, different tailpiece, shorter necks, diff, of course different strings. Um, so many habekas actually resemble Baroque violins. Um, and so the idea is that there's an ori- uh, a European origin of the habeka brought by brought by colonists to, to Brazil. Um, that being said, there's, you know, the origins of the Baroque violin go back into the invasion of the Iberian Peninsula with the Moors um, much earlier, bringing the Arab violin into, into Europe. And so it's possible. And so, of course, that 
there's also African um, bowed instruments too that may have an Arab origin or maybe even African origin. And those may have come with, with slaves as well. So nobody really knows. I think one of the most interesting questions in, in musicology and one that causes the most conflict is how people define sort of quality and precision. So there's been, you know, so like every, every musicology department has a sort of classical musicologist that look at, you know, Western European classical music. And they're sort of the, it's kind of the, the assumption that this is some sort of, they're sort of honing in on perfection. And the goal is to understand, you know, the, the geometry of the, of the whole system and so on. But I think, um, you know, the world is much more cosmopolitan now than it's than it's ever been. And people are much more appreciative of, of diversity and different voices. And the Habeka, I think people have finally come to realize that it's not the same instrument as a violin. And I think this word fiddle in English actually, actually works pretty well because it's, you know, people recognize the fiddle as being some sort of cousin of the violin, but that it's a different language and it has its own value. And I think the Habeka has is a sort of a third, a, th- a, a third track. It's, you know, it's a, it's a rustic sound, but it's, but it's not an ugly sound. You know, it's a, it's something that actually represents the, the voice of the people who developed the instrument quite well. And they're, they're extremely sophisticated about how they do it. You know, the way the instruments are built and the traditions that are passed on and the repertoire that's played. Yeah. You describe the Hudbeka sound as haunting. I wanted to know what you meant by that and um, how is the, how is the Habeka build and how is that related to the sound that it makes? Because when you first see it, it has a really uncanny resemblance to like a Western European type of violin, but there are these like nuances to it, it seems from like material and uh, shape. Yeah, the question is, yeah, where is the where does the voice of the Habeka come from, and 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 what is haunting about it? I think of a haunting sound in music is when you hear it. It's when the it's when the hair on your arm stands up. You know, it's sort of it goes. You have an, a like a visceral emotional response to it, and uh, I think sometimes that's it's because it sounds like a human voice. So instruments that sound like a human voice, we, t- we tend to find um, pleasing. But then I think there's there's something more to that. Like I think there's almost uh, like like there's a sadness in the sound. There's a longing in the sound. It's sort of it's an instrument that accompanies communities who have to work very very hard for their living you know the sugarcane cutters of of the northeast you know they're not the owners of the farm they're the ones with the machetes out there chopping sugarcane all day in the hot sun um at the end of summer you know eating eating sugarcane straight off of the off of the plant for lunch you know this is these guys are earning their living and so the instrument reflects the, the, the sound that you hear in this reflects their experience. And it, it comes from how the instruments are made, how they're constructed. So yes, the Habeka superficially can look like a, like a, like a Western European violin, 
but the more you look at it, actually, the more differences you find. And it turns out in construction of musical instruments, subtle details make all the difference. You know, you can have a you can have an inexpensive violin right alongside a you know a, a half a million dollar Stradivarius violin, and they actually look superficially similar. But the musician will will be able to identify them in no time. So part of the sound of the Habeka comes from the woods that are used. So they tend to be local woods that are found. You know, they're not importing wood from, you know, some other place generally. They're using relatively rustic tools. So actually in the in these communities in the northeast that that harvest sugarcane, they actually use the same tools that they use, you know, on the farm to make the instruments. So they're making the habekas out of machetes and small knives, you know, things that they sharpen with the same stones that they would sharpen their machete with. And only in more recent times do they acquire, you know, a handful of power tools to, to maybe help their process. But they're still, you know, largely handmade, fairly rustic instruments. The way the, the F holes, which are the holes in the top surface of the violin, they're carved sometimes in the shapes of animals instead of in an F. There's all kinds of diversity. And people have theories, their own theories of how the instruments work. In the southeast coast of Sao Paulo State, where the where the Caixada communities are, they actually, their habeca, so these are in contrast to the communities that cut sugarcane up in the northeast. So their, their habecas are built in a way analogous to the way they build canoes. So they'll fell a tree, uh, the so-called cacheta tree, which grows, you know, around there. And, you know, it's a fascinating process. They'll have this massive tree trunk and they'll carve out the part of the, the, the tree trunk to make like a long canoe which they use for fishing in their local communities. Well, when they go and make a habeca, they basically do the same thing. It's just on a small scale. They take a, a chunk of wood. The first thing they do is cut out the shape of the habeca. Then they slice off the back or sometimes the top. They hollow it out like a canoe and put the back back on, you know. And so, you know, it's cool to see that, you know, they're, they're, they're fishermen by by trade and that sort of woodworking technology carries over into their instrument construction and the instruments sound very very different
So it seems like it doesn't require so much like technical expertise or um, I guess like precise uh, kind of work. That seems uh, to compete with, I think people's general understanding of instrument making. Like it's a really like tedious process. You have to know how to make these exact measurements. Um, but, you know, when you're, I guess when you're trying to make an instrument with a different sound, um, with the Hebeka, it seems like that doesn't have to be the case. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good point. Is the Habeka less technical than is Habeka making less technical than violin? I'm not sure I would characterize it that way actually. So I think it's true that classical violin nowadays is fairly precise in the sense that people want a particular sound and it's hard to deviate from that sound and people work very hard to improve their technique to make to make the curves cleaner and more beautiful and make the sound sort of closer to that ideal sound i actually think it's very similar in the in the world of the habeka people have their own idea of what sound they want it's just not all the same and all, i think all instrument makers build using a large amount of intuition so um, from violin makers, guitar makers, Habeka makers, everyone. So I think that's somewhat of a misconception that, you know, traditional instrument makers might be not quite as technical as, as more modern ones. And I think what's, what's important is that actually, you know, like most anything, you could say, well, everything matters, right? Like all every detail matters and that's not entirely true actually certain details matter a lot and others matter much much less and so figuring out how to manage the ones that really matter is the most important thing and some people do that by intuition and some people do that by a more scientific approach and other people do that by more of a sort of tradition and sort of following patterns and optimizing so i i I do think that the Habeka, the diversity of the Habeka that we see in part is due to people largely working off of intuition. So they have certain tools available to them. They have certain historical or traditional knowledge that they're working from, and they're always trying to improve their instruments and they're controlling the things that they can or the things that they think are important. And they're pushing the instruments to, to hopefully get better. Um, that's actually almost identical to how most violin makers work. There's a, there's a small subset of instrument makers, of course, who use all kinds of sort of physics and engineering machinery to make detailed measurements of, of, of frequency response and, and, you know, resonance, resonant frequencies and so on throughout the instrument. But that's actually not, it's not the majority of makers and it's also not entirely accepted. You know, you can you can go and make a bunch of physical measurements, but it doesn't necessarily mean the instrument's going to sound better. And actually, many of the intuitive makers are still the best makers. Um, so in Brazil, with Habeka makers, almost no one uses a scientific approach. It's something I've I've brought in as much as I think is relevant, um, and that's just because of my background and you know the tools that I that I rely on, but it, I, I won't say that that's 
necessarily going to be more technical than somebody who's very careful about how thick they make it. They know exactly what wood they use, how long it's been aged, you know, and they're very, they're very well in tune with the players too. I mean, I think this is actually an interesting component too, is in, in the violin world, usually you have violin makers and then you have violin players in the Habeka world. Traditionally, actually Habeka players would make their own instrument. So it would kind of be like, well, I need a Habeka. So like, I'm, I'm going to make one. And, you know, the people who played them were the people that made them. And so that knowledge of the, the player and the maker is actually the same person. So that makes that feedback quite efficient. The voice of the instrument should represent the voice of the of the maker and the players. And that's something that, you know, is going to be slightly different in each place, in each person, depending on their experience. So did learning about string design inspire you to make five string Rebecca's or was it the other way around? Yeah, it was definitely the other way around. So I, I was inspired to make the string sets in part because of having made the first five string Habeka or at least my first five string Habeka. Other people had made different versions of a five string before. Um, yes, because you basically, you know, if, I think this is how innovation works in general is like, if there's a, an existing solution that's satisfactory, there's no reason to chase after something new. You know, if, if everybody's satisfied with the current solution. So this is a case that's, I didn't find the existing string options, you know, buying a bunch of random guitar sets and trying to mix and match to be a satisfactory solution for the sound. So as soon as I had an instrument that was working, I, I sat down and did this calculation and worked out a set of strings for myself. And soon after that, it was apparent that I should do this for all of the tunings and for a bunch of different materials to for to support the scene actually the music scene there so yeah the strings came second i wanted to know what's you know the personal significance to you in this in the relationship with the instrument and for someone who may not have ever heard of a habeka what would you say that's so meaningful about it i think the i think the habeka is a captivating instrument because even though it it has an origin that, that's, you know, a cousin of the violin. It's actually, it's different enough. And the way it's been used, the, the way it's been used in different communities is, is, is really captivating. I started all of this work as a musician and very soon I, I transitioned into being an instrument maker and a, a repair person and that's been incredibly satisfying because I feel really useful to the community actually. So I can solve, people can bring me an instrument that's broken or not sounding correctly in a very short amount of time. I can, I can improve it. And to be able to, to do that in a country that's not my own, and then, you know, be able to have developed instruments and strings for a, a, a music community that I respect, but that is not my own has been really empowering and very satisfying and 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 i think you know the habeka i i find traditional music to be really inspiring because it shows you know there's a there's aspects of of continuity of culture 
you know, across all humans, but there's also like, you know, specific communities that do it their own way. And I think actually appreciating that diversity is, is important and inspiring. Thank you so much to Adam and Rosa for this coming together and these lessons and knowledge about the Hebeka. I, and I'm sure many others have gained a new appreciation for this instrument. Misty Radio is a production of MIT International Science and Technology Initiatives. You can listen to us on WMBR Cambridge, 88.1 FM, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.